Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Film for Fans podcast, the podcast from movie fans for movie fans. I am your host, Ryan Dunlevy, joined by my co-host, Rob Dunham. Yes, <laughs> yes, we are back. Uh, and excellent show in store, as always. We'll, of course, preview the box office and the big movie coming out this week, Ant-Man, the Wasp, Quantumania. And we will be continuing our series breakdown with uh, ranking the best picture winners from 2010 through 2019. And of course, don't want to mess with that. Uh, Are you ready to start? Oh, I'm ready. You've got a bird on your hat. Got a bird on my shirt. (laughs) This is not an ornithology podcast. This is not an ornithology podcast. Yes, no, this is a movie podcast. And we are going to talk about the box office. Uh, Rob, I don't know what to say about box office viewers. (laughs) But uh, the box office viewers made Magic Mike Last Dance number one at the box office. Sad day for America. It is a sad day for America. Okay. Now, to be honest, it's an $8.3 million number one at the box office. So literally nobody went to the box office this past weekend. But Magic Mike, number one at the box office. Uh, Avatar Way of Water came in number two at $7.2 million. Titanic in its re-release, $6.7, which is very respectable for a re-release. Don't know what's wrong with people. <laughs> Magic Mike was number one, so we've already established that. 80 for Brady did 5.8 million, and Puss in Boots did 5.6. Uh, notable drop-off of the top five, Knock the Cabin, mm-hmm. fell below number five. I think it did 5.2 million, if I'm remembering correctly, at number six. Uh yeah, I wasn't really expecting that much of a drop-off from that. Yeah, we talked about um, how this second week, what it might say about the audience reaction to uh, M. Night, and it's not looking too positive. It isn't. I mean, it's it's not it's not a world-killing. It's, I mean, I think it dropped like 75% if I'm doing the mm-hmm. rough math, around 70-75%. Um, which is not unheard of, but it ain't great, you know, especially for, I mean, you were going up against Magic Mike mm-hmm. and 80 for Brady. Like, I would have thought that it had been able to pull in at least 10, 12 million, but it did not. And the thing is, I still talk about this in the watch a little bit, but I actually went and saw Knock at the Cabin and I thought it was pretty good. Mm. So I think a lot of this might just be there's not a lot of trust in him anymore yeah yeah people just aren't excited yeah about his movies anymore that's possible certainly possible uh any other uh any other comments on the box office um like i said earlier i think 6.7 million for a titanic release is something um like they would have to be fairly pleased with that yeah re-releases don't really garner that much money but that did pretty well yeah I mean, there's not a lot of people went to the movies. Yeah, it was that kind of weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was that kind of weekend. Uh, just the way the box office shakes out. I'm still surprised when we have weeks that like there are just no really attractive movies. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, where are these, these backlog of movies we've been promised for two yeah. years that they were supposedly working on? I don't know. Streaming to a TV near you. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Uh, but that's really all we have for the box office results. Uh, one main opening this weekend, of course, it's going to be the big movie for the weekend, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, the third in the Ant-Man saga. I actually, we'll get to this later too, but I actually watched the first two Ant-Man movies mm-hmm. in preparation for this one. It's been a while since I saw them, and I actually enjoy both of them very much, actually. They're some of my favorites. Uh what are you thinking uh, with regard to Ant-Man 3? What, what, what do you expect? We'll go through it. What do you expect? What are you hoping for? Um, what are we hearing? Well, I'm expecting a lot of the kind of uh, sophomoric mm-hmm. funny humor that the first two have had. Yes, for the sure. Qu- the question <laughs> is, how far can you go? down that road before it gets stale yeah and one thing that has helped both of the first two movies is i believe is that even though they have had a pretty fantastical kind of story they have also both been somewhat focused Mm -hmm. so they made stakes and made them recognizable and understandable yeah and then drove the story through that framework Mm -hmm. and what I have, I, I have intentionally not looked at a lot of feedback for yeah. the new movie um, to color my opinion of it, but I have heard one major negative from people is that there seems to be a feeling of it being disjointed. Mm. And that could be something that could be pretty hard for a concept like an Ant-Man to overcome. Yeah. And it would not be the first time we've heard similar comments about a Phase 4 Marvel mm-hmm. movie. Uh, which really uh, really gets us to an interesting statement, but we'll get to that in a moment. Um, I'm expecting it to be decent, but not as good as the other ones. Mm-hmm. I, think, I, I think what we've basically had for the most part is the bar for Phase 4 has been, it's been okay, but not what we were expecting or not we're hoping for you know i'm i'm guessing this one continues along that trend that trend line it seems like without a clear and obvious direction for phase four uh the movies themselves are lacking and i don't know if that's just everyone in charge is getting a little burnout out after a decade plus of doing <laughs> this i don't know or if it's or if it's just that they don't know where to go from here uh, but that's what I'm guessing for that. I'm hoping for, I'm hoping it's funny and hoping it's entertaining. Uh, one of the things that stood out to me from the previous two is the graphics were all very interesting. They were far more interesting than in some of the other ones. Almost all of them have excellent graphics, but the Ant-Man ones were interesting because the first one was all about being really small and tiny. So mm-hmm. you're getting that unique, like, everything is shrunk down feel to it um i can think in particular like the uh the final battle with the guy where mm-hmm. they're they're playing around his little daughter's train set and they zoom in and like the trains burn down on them and they zoom out it's just like um they were really cool that that per, that playing with scale 
was really, really interesting. And they did it in the second one and they did a lot more with being big mm-hmm. and like the giant Pez dispenser bouncing down the street, knocking people over. Uh, so there were fun, interesting, unique novel graphics. I'm, I'm expecting and hoping that we get some more of that. Um, with the quantum mini, I'm guessing we're going way more into the subatomic level. So I'm hoping that there's a way that they can pull off some unique and interesting uh, graphics with uh, playing around with that sense of scale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if they can with Quantumania, but they did with the first two. So that's what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping to get that at least. Give me some good humor. Give me some entertainment. Give me some unique scale-based graphics. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm personally not looking for this to be yeah an amazing movie like <laughs> we're not looking for the the you know first entrant yeah. in our best picture nominations I mean, that's not why or it's not why i would go see it like yeah. i would say even i'm not expecting it to be like a top tier marvel movie i'm not expecting yeah. it to be a civil war or winter soldier yeah. or something along those lines mm-hmm. because it's the the character itself is not that kind of character yeah yeah he's always kind of been slightly off to the side of the rest of the marvel heroes mm-hmm. and i think they even make reference to that and make jokes to that like uh as as part of the series that he's kind of there but he's kind of off to the side mm-hmm. and he's kind of like not quite in the club um <clears throat> i think that has suited that character well and especially with where marvel's at it could in theory suit that character well and suit the this movie well i don't know if it will mm-hmm. yeah um anything else you're hoping for uh i i you know like i said i'm just going to this movie to have a good time yeah laugh i hope i can do that that's really (laughs) yeah Yeah. i'm not going into it with super high expectations and and we'll see and like we've talked about sometimes i think a lot when we talked about fast and furious there's value in that Mm -hmm. there's value in movies that may not be the greatest cinematography or the greatest movie experience the greatest story the greatest whatever there's value i mean because at the end of the day they're about entertainment and if you go out and you have a good time and you're not having to take everything super seriously there's value in that so mm-hmm. I think there's real value in a movie like this if it's done well. If you just leave coming out there, it's like, okay, whatever. Like, you know. But my world will not be shattered if Ant-Man and the Wasp yeah. is not that great. <laughs> <laughs> now, you tell me Oppenheimer stinks, and then I'm going to be really devastated. Yeah. But uh, if it's Ant-Man, I'm good with that. Now, let's let's just say, okay, let's play out the scenario here. If the movie is only okay, what is that? Is phase four of Marvel already doomed? I just don't see a direction. Yeah. The the general feeling, there's there's no there's no end goal, it seems. Yeah. But I wonder if that's holding it to an unfair standard because when you have such a huge build mm-hmm. to what happened with the Avengers movies, when you have over a decade of planning going yeah. into things, there's the reason why all those things are so connected and why it works so well is because there was a plan yeah, in place. And once you reach the height of that, how do you build another plan that's going to be Mm-hmm. equally memorable and equally believable yeah and we talked about when those movies came out Endgame, game mm-hmm. um 
Infinity War if it was even possible to make something better than that. Yeah. If that was the peak and we we're only going to go down from there. And I would say that at the moment, it feels like that's mm-hmm. what's happening. Yeah. I, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. It's, I really wonder if they would have benefited from just taking a break, just taking a pause, you know, instead of continuing on, not to say you couldn't bring some of the same characters back or the same type of things, back, but just take a couple years break, let everyone hunger for, for Marvel again, come up with whatever your next plan is and go forward. I mean, I'm sure they were brainstorming this a long time out. I mean, you've seen like the, Facebook things are like these movies, these years, but you know, by we've, I feel like we've had the same conversation after every one of the phase four movies is like, well, I hope they give me some direction. Mm-hmm. I hope they give us some kind of where they're headed. And we leave every one of these movies with the exact same feeling. And we get to the next one. It's very soon. We'll be at the end of phase four and we'll be like, okay, <laughs> I guess there isn't a direction. Um, yeah. Yeah. You saw plenty of idea of direction this early in the beginning phases of what they were doing. So I'm just, I'm a little underwhelmed so far. Mm-hmm. And maybe there was always inevitably a step back, but I think knowing that you could plan for that, and I'm not sure that they adequately have. Yeah, I just, I just don't. I, I think part of it is there's not really the force of personality mm-hmm. in the characters that was there with yeah. um, Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Um, Th- Thor, I thought even in the earlier movies, maybe had more personality mm-hmm. than in the most recent one. And the best, probably the best movie of Phase Four was has been Spider Man. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that the character is so mm-hmm. impactful. Yeah. And he came along later in the Marvel reign. So we haven't had decades long mm-hmm. of Spider-Man movies. Yeah. So there is a little bit of freshness to that where there isn't with mm-hmm. some of the others. And so. you, you, you do have to wonder um, if... Chadwick Boseman, if he was still around, mm. if this would have an entirely different feel to it, because I really do think they were building up for it to be Spider-Man and Black Panther mm-hmm. leading this next phase. And with him gone, they had to change everything with yeah. that movie. Which, I mean, we talked about this at the time, because I do wonder if they if they had regret the decision not to recast the character. I mean, we all understand why, but the sentimentality might have gotten the better of them mm-hmm. in that moment and they might have needed now it's it was always going to be hard to replace Chadwick Boseman the man was an excellent actor but um and I actually um, think I think Wakanda Forever is a very good movie by itself but mm-hmm. I think part of the problem is because of his loss it feels like it's by itself it doesn't yeah. feel if he had been in it, there would have been a different kind of connection between everything that was happening before it and everything that was going to happen after it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, anything else on this? Are you planning on seeing it this weekend or no? Uh, I'm planning on seeing it. I'm not sure if it'll be this weekend. Okay. Well, I'm really going to try and go this weekend. 
um, I've been working hard. I need a break. I need to go see a movie. <laughs> this is the kind of, every once in a while you do need to just go to a movie and turn your mind off. Absolutely. And so that's one thing I love about movies that there are mm-hmm. movies we can go watch that are super serious, emotional, make you think. Yeah. And then there are movies that we can go watch if we know we just want to watch things get blown up and see cars in space. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Fast 10 coming soon, yes. man. <laughs> Fast 10 your seatbelts, everybody. <laughs> oh, God. Wow. Okay. All right. All right. You're, that was your quota for the show. Okay. All right. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, we, we are continuing the third part of our three-part series, uh, ranking the uh, best picture winners uh, from the last three decades. Uh, first week, we did 2000 to 2009. Last week, we did 1990 to 1999, which I really thought that was a fun, mm-hmm. that was a fun era to review and a really fun discussion. Uh, but this year, uh, this week, I should say, we will be doing 2010 through 2019. Uh, so we'll start this out. Uh, I will read over the winners in order of what year. And uh, then we will give each of us will go back and forth with our rankings and then we will go back in and revisit a couple of years because there was a couple of really interesting decisions that uh, were made, kind of like we did with the 1990s, and kind of revisit them, you know, almost 10 years out, like seven, eight years on to see whether or not we would change our opinions on some of these. Okay. So the winners, 2010, The Hurt Locker, 2011, The King's Speech. 2012, The Artist, 2013, Argo, 2014, 12 Years a Slave, 2015, Birdman, 2016, Spotlight, 2017, Moonlight, continuing a theme there, Uh, 2018, The Shape of Water, 2019, Green Book, and there we go. Now, a couple things off the top before we get into our list, 2010 was the year they doubled the amount of nominations for Best Picture. Up until that point, five movies got nominated. In 2010, they started nominating 10 movies. So you have 10 movies in the mix for each year starting in 2010. Um, Looking over the list and even maybe some of the other nominations, um, anything you saw trend-wise or anything that... You talk about just just giving an overview of the decade in terms of uh, the best picture. I mean, just that we saw a little more recognition of a wider variety of movies, which is um, important in that it shone a light on some lesser known movies. But I think perhaps they may have gone too far Mm -hmm. in picking those movies out at that point. Yeah, I think this is. This is where you you start seeing the disconnect, the increasing disconnect between the audience, the movie audience and the movie industry, between like the the elite organizations and the average moviegoer. Uh, we talked about the 1990s. Almost every one of the best pictures and every one of the nominations were movies that everyone would have seen. Now you're getting to these where, and part of the, and I think a lot of this has to do with the expansion 
of the amount of nominees is I think it was to include some of the more indie type films. Um, but I do think it has led to an increasing disconnection between the movie goers and the, and, and the Oscars themselves and the awards and the industry. And I think you start to see that um, as, as the decade of the 2010s rolls on. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, let's get to, let's get to our rankings. Um, first off, we have to start like we do everyone's. How many of these have you not seen? <laughs> I have seen a full half of them. Okay. Okay. So I've seen five. All right. So give me your list of the ones you have not seen. I have not seen uh, Green Book, Moonlight, Spotlight, Birdman, or 12 Years a Slave. Okay. So pretty much the entire second half of the decade. <laughs> Which I think, honestly, I think that goes to the point that we're trying to say is that the two of us as moviegoers... There were a number of movies in this decade, even after they won Best Picture, we were not that motivated. And I would say I, I have wanted to see some of these. I just have not gotten to it. Yeah. So. Um, I have not seen Moonlight, The Artist, and 12 Years Slave. Yeah. And several of them I really don't have a desire to. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't know where that puts us. Um, it's I think it's indicative of where the movie industry is at and where it is gone. Um and I think that culminated for us last year when we were looking around and we hadn't seen hardly any of the Best Picture nominations when they came mm -hmm. out. Uh, so we're awakening an effort to change that uh, this year. Uh, all right. So since you've only got five, we'll start with you at number five. So I will give you I will give you my what is that? Um, seven, seven and six. Uh, seven for me is Birdman. Um, interesting movie unusual movie um yeah that's basically what i get to say about it it was interesting and unusual um it was fine it was it was worth a watch but it's not one that i'm gonna i'm gonna head back to on a regular basis so i give it that uh green book for me would be at number six uh it's a good, solid movie. It's well acted. It's an interesting story. Um, and a, you know, overall, it's, just, it's a pretty good movie. I don't know that I would have said this is the movie that should win Best Picture. But it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine movie. And mm -hmm. the rest of them on the list, I actually like to some degree or another. Mm -hmm. um, so the Green Book is just lower. I mean, it, it's it's a perfectly fine movie. Um, but it's in number six in me just because um, it, it's it just that's what I think of it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. What, what do you got for number five? Uh, number five, I have The Hurt Locker. Mm. Um, this movie introduced uh, Jeremy Ryan to mm. a lot of people. Yeah, this is true. Um, and I think he has proven, you know, he's a very uh, suitable actor, mm -hmm. he's a very capable actor. He's I don't know if he's like typecast into Hawkeye <laughs> at this point, but um, he plays that kind of character well. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was an interesting story too about yeah. the bomb disposal. Yeah, units you, in the Middle East. You've and, not seen a movie of that type. You've seen lots of war films. You've not really seen one with this type of focus before. Yeah, and it was quite, um, quite an intense mm -hmm. movie. Some very yeah. dramatic sequences in this movie literally life and death mm -hmm. um and 
I was I was happy for this movie when it came out because I do think this is one where they kind of reached out a little bit to pick it, but I also feel like it was deserved in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think you can say that for everyone that's like that, but I think you can definitely say it about this mm-hmm. movie. So um, the top five of the decade, the only five that I watched, <laughs> uh, I like each of them. Like you had Mm -hmm. said, you like all of your top five. Um, Some I like more than others, Mm -hmm. but uh, I think they're all good to great movies. So so number five for me is The Shape of Water. Um, This was a Guillermo del Toro movie. And um, it's number five for me because I like half of it to two thirds. And I really like the half to two thirds that I really like, but I don't love the story. And it's really hard to get past the awkward weirdness of the whole fish loves love story element of it. Like that's really like, it's so bizarre and uh, unsettling. (laughs) (laughs) Can I say potentially unsettling that, uh I I just like like it's too it's too it's 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 just a little over the bar. It's just too bizarre. It's just a little too bizarre. And I don't love I don't love the story, but visually the color palette is amazing. Cinematography is amazing. Um the way he does the visuals and the way he creates the the, the feeling in the atmosphere, um, the use of water. Uh, is is really really interesting. It's it's Guillermo del Toro putting his stamp on the movie in a way that he does. You you recognize the visual palette and what he's doing as Guillermo del Toro, mm-hmm. which um, he's very good, especially with the visual elements of his films. He's very very good, and and so that element was really good. I remember that's why it, it made my list that year for for the my ten best. It just wasn't super high on my list. For the reasons I articulated. Mm. So that's why for me, it's uh, it stands in at number five. Uh, number four for me is The Artist. Mm. I know you said you have not I've seen known. that one. Um, it's a very surprising winner for Best Picture. Yeah. Considering it's in black and white mm-hmm. and it's a silent film. Yeah. And it's in French. Yeah. <laughs> and this, honestly, it is, it is the artist... The win for the artist, I think, is the first one for me where I'm like, okay, now we're really starting to diverge. Mm-hmm. This is the one I pinpoint yeah. where I'm like, okay, we're starting to head in a direction that's where we're disconnecting from the average moviegoer yeah. with what we're doing. And I can say that um, I did not watch this one until it won mm-hmm. the Academy Award. Then I watched it and I was very impressed by it at the same time it's a movie that you're with, with the things I mentioned about what it is, you're eliminating mm-hmm. a pretty vast percentage of yeah. a, a potential audience. Yeah. Your watchability score on a movie like this is by its very nature is going to be significantly low. Yeah. So to me, even though it's a fantastic movie, um, Gerard Depardieu is the main character. Um, it is one that is not going to be seen by a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that 
changes if a movie is great or not. Yeah. Really, because if a, if a movie is the greatest movie ever made and only one person ever saw it, is it still <laughs> the greatest movie ever made? Yeah, there is. Yeah, there's that's that's the constant debate. That is, it's the constant debate between you know putting something beautiful together and does anybody appreciate mm-hmm. it? And if nobody appreciated it, is it really like who is who's making those decisions? And I think one of yeah. the things about a movie like this, um, something, and we've kind of hinted at this a little bit, broadly speaking. the greatness of a movie to me somehow kind of translates into how many of my friends would I recommend this movie Mm. to? Mm. And I think a movie like this, although I think it's great, there are only certain people I would recommend Mm. watch it. Yeah. Because I know a lot of people would not appreciate Mm it. Yeah. Um, On the other hand, there are some movies like Top Gun Maverick. Mm -hmm. When I saw that, I recommend it to like everyone. Yeah. (laughs) To watch it. So what to, the question is what that says about mm-hmm. the movie, what it says about you, what it says about mm-hmm. the company you keep, yeah. all these things, yeah. you know. Um, but I, I do think that that is something to consider when yeah. you're talking about how good a movie is. And that's, you know, that's part of the reasons why it's not in my top mm-hmm. three on this list. And with everything, there's any art type of art, there's always a level of subjectivity to it. But I think within that subjectivity, you have a framework. You know, if everybody hates something or if everybody loves something, there there tends to be something in there that says there's something about this that is good or there's something about this is bad. And trying to, like, draw the circle to to gauge where something is is, is always very difficult. Uh, but all right. Um, that was your number four. Mm-hmm. Right? Number four for me, the Hurt Locker. Um, for some of the reasons I articulated earlier, I, I could be wrong on this, but. I would have to look it up again, but I think Catherine Bigelow was the first woman to director to win best mm. uh, with this one. Um, but really interesting, really interesting movie. And I, I put it here because of the unique uh, uniqueness element. It was a different war movie. It was a different kind of war movie. Um, if I'm, if I'm being honest, I actually like her next movie, Zero Dark Thirty better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know most people would say the reverse mm-hmm. that they, that they don't consider Zero Dark Thirty um as good mm-hmm. as the hurt locker uh, i like it better but that's for my own my own purposes but uh really well done like you said intensity um there's there's some movies that by their very nature are going to have a higher level of intensity when you're dealing with bomb disposal like the immediacy of the pressure of that moment allows itself to have very dramatic moments and of course this one definitely did all right number 3 uh, number three for me, I had, um, and this was a really hard choice because I like these these top three movies. Mm. I like each of them a lot. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I'm still debating with myself a little bit between the <laughs> underrated movie, but I also have a very preconceived bias about the other two. So, mm. um, number three for me is Argo. Okay. And I think you could. I think you could make an argument for Argo being like a top 10 movie of all time. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's number three for me in the decade. So uh-huh. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard sometimes to stack movies up against each yeah, other. It is. Um, there are so many things that make this a great film. Uh, ben Affleck's acting. Mm-hmm. He's phenomenal in this. You 
can't see this movie and then tell me that Ben Affleck is not a solid actor. Yeah. When he puts the effort in. And you can also argue twofold. One, he's a better actor than you thought. And two, he's a much better director mm-hmm. than he gets credit for. And I think the way they adapted the story, mm-hmm. the source material, yeah, the way they brought to light something like that the, they found something fascinating mm-hmm. and were able to write and produce a fascinating story about it. Yeah. Um the the true life story is it sounds like made like it's made up. <laughs> yeah, I know. yeah. So to see the actual story happening was pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And um I th- I think it absolutely deserved to win the best picture. Mm-hmm. And I think that it deserves to be recognized as a top movie of all time. Now where it ranks in that list, I'm not sure. Yeah. Um and maybe if I was sitting down and making a top movie list of all time, my personal belief, <laughs> then maybe it might actually rank above the other two on this list. Um, You're allowed to be inconsistent yeah, with it. It's just the, yeah. the way it hits you and but the way it's framed. I, I really feel the top three movies on my list <laughs> in this decade are all incredible movies. And so that's why, um, you know, it, mm-hmm. it could very easily be one or two. Yeah, like you, I have. I, I think the top three are standout for me. Although, as we already know, uh, there's going to be differences mm-hmm. in our top three. Uh, so one of one of them for me is one you said you haven't seen yet, uh, not Spotlight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as much as I have an issue with the current state of journalism, <laughs> I really do enjoy great investigative stories, um, especially when portrayed portrayed in films. And and this this film you watch as they uncover and they peel back the layers of the the child sex abuse scandal within the Catholic Church, specifically in the area of Boston. Um, it's about reporters who are who are slowly uncovering the story and then slowly discovering the scale of the cover up of what was happening in the Catholic Church at the time. Um, it's very it's very well directed. It's very well acted um it i think it conveys it conveys the story um in a way that in a way that's compelling it's it, there's always a balance because you want to make it interesting you want to make it compelling but you you're trying not you you want to bring the emotion but you don't want to feel like you're taking advantage of it um and i think it tro- tread that balance and tread that balance well and um, I think it really makes a difference uh, in that way. And it's a story that's good to tell. I wish they would tell the story about that beyond, you know, the Catholic Church. Because mm. um, it's kind of ironic that Hollywood makes a movie about this topic, while Hollywood itself has been a major, major problem in areas along uh, along these lines. Uh, but the movie itself is just a really, it's a really fantastic movie. It's really engaging. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so number two for me is The Shape of Water. And I will admit that I am <laughs> incredibly biased. <laughs> you are a Del Toro guy. This. I'm yeah. a Guillermo Del Toro major fan. Yep. Um, something about his style, the noir feel that he's able to pull off visually and in, even down to 
um, the actors, just their way of being. It just seems that everything homogenizes itself into his style for the movies he makes. And I don't think you can say that for everybody. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very clear. Like we talked about Wes Anderson, having a very mm -hmm. specific visual style. Like Guillermo del Toro has a very uh, specific, like just overall style. Yeah. I, I don't know how else to say that. Mm -hmm. um, if you watch one of his movies, you can pretty readily pick out that he has been involved. Yeah. In it in some yeah. way. Um, this movie to me, the thing that impressed me the most is that it took such a fantastical idea and made you feel actual emotion about it. Now, whether or not you were completely rooted <laughs> out by it, <laughs> I had some emotions. It might not have been the ones that tended, but <laughs> seems like I could see that being like the focus of, um, you know, probably a, a lot of people who saw the movie, but to me, there was so much more involved in leading up to that mm -hmm. moment that the moment itself was not like the biggest part of the movie like the biggest part of the movie was the connection yeah literally a fish out of water yeah story <laughs> um i think that that's my problem with it is that because of that it just distracts mm -hmm. from the good things he did in the other parts of, yeah. of the movie but yeah go ahead yeah um i would say that out of his movies this is probably not in my top few um a movie like pan's labyrinth for example i would have above this uh but i still really like it and i still really like pretty much everything he mm -hmm. has done yeah um so the shape of water i had at number two mm -hmm. um and number two for me was the king's speech and i did go back and forth on number two and number one um We'll revisit, uh, actually, this is not on the list of revisiting that year. Really interesting year. Uh, lots of interesting movies that got nominated. This was, for the longest time, was supposed to be uh, The Social Network was, was the mm. big front runner until The King's Speech came on mm -hmm. later. And it's such a good story. It's such a good story about, about a personal struggle and the guy helping the mentor helping him overcome the personal struggle and this connection and this friendship that develops between these two men under unbelievably trying circumstances and it's it's got such a good mix of emotions sadness and happiness and humor and and you feel for you feel for the king in this moment as he's as he's stumbling through this and feel like what it means for him, what it means for the nation, what it means during World War II. Uh, it's there. There have been three great films that have been made around this similar era: uh, The Darkest Hour, The King's Speech, and Dunkirk. Um, you know, kind of a similar. Mm -hmm similar look and feel and time frame world war ii in recent in recent years and this is uh this one is really really good and and it's awesome because it leads you up to this dramatic moment and then when he's finally given his speech like i remember being in a packed out theater you know everyone was there the whole theater was full and nobody like you can hear a pin drop while he's while he's given this speech it's such an amazing job of building up to a moment and then holding you in the tension along with it. It kind of puts you in that moment. I love it. So, so my number one was the King's Speech. And I think Colin Firth 
was incredible in this movie. Mm-hmm. It's hard to pull off with believability having some kind of disability without it seeming um, like a caricature yeah. or overplayed. And I think he did a really good job at making it believable. And I think the story written around it was pretty excellent. Yeah. And I just, to me, so just to me on this list, it was my, mm-hmm. my favorite. And I, I think it's an all time. Yeah. Movie. It's, it's a very, very good movie. It really is. It's a very, very good movie. And so that's why it's like, it was very hard for me to choose between two and one. And so for a one for me is Argo. And for all of the reasons you said, um, it's just such a, like, you watch the whole time of like, this can't be actually like, they can't actually be doing this. Like, are you serious? This really happened. And it did. And it's, it's crazy. Um, <clears throat> I was at a spy museum a number of years ago and they had the actual Argo script, hmm. like the actual Argo script that they had for the, for the film that they purchased and we're going to make. And I got to see the Argo script, which is really cool. It was, it was a fun film moment. Hmm. Um, to, to be able to see that but it's uh yeah it's really fascinating it's a fascinating engaging movie um about a period of time that is not that well covered mm-hmm. um yeah there's not a ton uh with regards to that and it's one of the only movies dealing with that specific topic i think i saw there might be a, a netflix documentary about the Hmm. about the embassy the capture of the embassy or uh, amazon or, or netflix i haven't seen it but there's i i don't so i don't know if it's any good but i think there's one but there's really just hasn't been that much about mm-hmm. um so it's yeah it was really interesting engaging and i'd never heard the story of like we did we've heard about the embassy the capture of the embassy i'd never heard this whole side story about these other people who had escaped mm-hmm. uh, and it's yeah and like you said, uh, Ben Affleck is the star of this in every aspect um, because he was he was one of the main actors and the director, and the quality is reflective yeah. of his work. I kind of wonder what it would, what the meetings must have been like when he was pitching this idea, because I'm yeah. sure that <laughs> a lot of people are like, "What? No, this will like yeah. never. People won't connect to this." Yeah. Like, and then mm-hmm. it's just so eminently we talked about the word watchable, like out of these movies, I would say that um, even though I had the King speech number Mm -hmm. one, I, I think if you were giving people, and this might be another good test, like Mm -hmm. you're giving people a piece of paper and a pencil and you told them to write down 25 Mm -hmm. great movies from like a decade, Mm -hmm. I think people might be more likely to write down Argo than they would the King Mm -hmm. speech, just because I think it's easier to remember. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's more action. I think Mm -hmm. there's, probably a better story in there or a more interesting story yeah um but yeah that's just art Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah and if you have not seen argo or the king's speech you really have to make make an effort to do so uh because they're really master class in cinema yeah all right so let's uh i just want to quickly revisit a couple of these years kind of like we did with the 1990s uh, and, and review the nominations and whether or not looking back on it, uh, that, that if we had to do it over again, would we give the award to a different movie? Uh, so 2015, and this is going to be harder for you since I didn't realize you hadn't seen Spotlight, mm-hmm. but Spotlight won it for 2016. This is 2016. Um, 
The other nominations, The Big Short, Bridge of Spies, Brooklyn, Mad Max, Fury Road, The Martian, The Revenant, and Room. This was a very, very loaded, high-quality year. Uh, There are some really, really good movies on this list. Uh, Some of my favorite movies, I will be honest, probably if I'm looking at my 50 list, there's probably three movies at least three movies in my top 50 potentially mm-hmm. on this list. Uh, what are you doing with it? Are, if, yeah. if revisiting this, are you still giving the now? I, it'd be hard for you to do the yeah. spotlight, but yeah. pick, pick ones. I mean, if I, if I had to choose just one, and there are a couple of them mm-hmm. that I really like, but um, to me, the revenant was just mm. superb. Yeah. When you talk about making a movie, that feels like you're in the wilderness. Yeah. It was so believable. And a lot of that is down to Leonardo DiCaprio's Mm -hmm. insanity. Yeah. that He almost like (laughs) really made himself very sick (laughs) filming this movie because he was so committed to it and rightfully was recognized for that. Yeah. um, With uh, the actor category, but I've not seen many movies of that era done so well yeah it felt big but it also felt kind of claustrophobic mm-hmm. at times in a way that um it, it was impactful yeah uh i just, i really like the movie yeah. a lot yeah um i would say i cannot give it to the revenant because of the watchability mm-hmm. that's that's a movie i've seen twice and like it's a it's a tough movie to watch. Yeah. Like it's a slog to watch this movie. And I actually went to it in theaters twice. The second time with my dad because mm. he wanted to see it. And we came out of this like, dude, you watched that twice? Because <laughs> <laughs> um, it is brutal and yeah. it's vicious. It's basically beating up on Leonardo DiCaprio for two plus mm-hmm. two and a half, two forty five, mm-hmm. something like this. I mean, just insane stuff. So it can't for me because of just because of the watchability. I think. Over time, movies that are less watchable become less impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, it's a very tough call because the three that stand out for me, Bridge of Spies, Mad Max Fury Road, and The Martian are all probably on my list of top movies. But Bridge of Spies, man, that it is unreal. It is so, so good. Uh, the character played by Tom Hanks. I mean, this is up there on my list of like Cold War movies. I mean, it is it is so, so good. And the story is so well done. And it, it talks about um, it really gives you an indication of what it, of what it was like trying to being from the West, trying to pick apart the layers of the onion that is the Soviet bloc mm-hmm. during the Cold War and and the way it presents the contrasts. Um, and and the the role played by um, now I'm going to blank out on this actor's name, um, Mark Rylance, Mark mm-hmm. Rylance, uh, and the interplay between those two was just absolutely fantastic. So Bridge of Spies is 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 the winner for that. And I also think um, if you have not seen Mad Max Fury Road, mm-hmm. you should watch Mad Max Fury Road because even if you gave someone the description of the movie, they would have no idea how good it is it has no right to be as good as it is like i'll tell you i'll tell you this 
my wife hates action movies, hates action movies. She wants nothing to do with them. Even she would say, that was actually pretty good. <laughs> she was actually compelled to stay in the room while watching yeah. it. So, you know what? It's actually it's actually more interesting than you think. Yeah. Uh, so that's 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 all of the Delsas. It's one of the best action movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And then I want to go for the next year too. That was the winners from 2017. Moonlight won it. Arrival, Fences, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, La La Land, Lion, Manchester by the Sea. Um, what what are you doing on that one? I mean, uh, Arrival is probably, if not my favorite, it is one of my favorite science fiction movies of all time. I probably it, it it's very I, I I don't know if I can say it because Interstellar is right there too, but Arrival <laughs> is so mm-hmm. excellent in every aspect. Yes. Oh my gosh, it is. And on top of that, like. It takes a, what you think is a very well-known genre and just kind of twists it a little bit to make it unexpected, to make it surprising. And, and you know, there's things that happen that kind of change what you think about what happened before as you, as you go on through the movie. And... There's a there's always a danger in doing that that it makes what you experience in the moment less meaningful, but it doesn't. It switches around and it makes it more impactful, and it actually blooms to the next level, which is very hard to do in a science fiction film. Mm-hmm. And they did it so well; it just has such an interesting tone and feel to it. It just, like you said, it puts on its head the concept mm-hmm. of an alien invasion. Mm-hmm. And what that means what the what's the purpose yeah of why they're here yeah and i i really enjoy the outcome of this movie and mm-hmm. uh everything builds emotionally to the end and it's just phenomenal yeah yeah all right well that's it for this uh this week's discussion we'll move on to our watch list what'd you watch this week rob so i watched a few things i watched knock of the cabin okay um, by M. Night Shamilin, Shamilin, however you want to pronounce his name. I just call him M. Night because I'm always too scared to say his last name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I think Dave Bautista further cements himself mm-hmm. as the best uh, former professional wrestler that is an actor. Okay. Um, whether whether you like this movie or not, his character is excellent, well acted believable emotional um heartbreaking in a lot of ways to see this big so this this big huge hulking guy is playing this person who's basically begging this family to make this choice so that the world can be saved and they they're not listening to him and he's just trying everything he can do and not to get angry and to be passive and to let them make a choice and i really liked the story quite a bit um i could see it being hard for some people to connect to but i enjoyed it i think it probably deserves a better faith than it's getting mm-hmm. right now when it comes to the box office but mm-hmm. um i saw that i also saw uh undercover blues which is a movie from the 90s if you've mm-hmm. never seen it's dennis quaid kathleen turner okay. stanley tucci and it's about a couple who is like on vacation from working for the fbi mm-hmm. 
and they are drawn back into this undercover crime ring in New Orleans, um, fronted in on one aspect by the Stanley Tucci character is hilarious because his name, uh, in his character's name is Muerte, meaning death in Spanish. And every time he shows up, he says, Name is Muerte. And then Dennis Quaid always says, Oh, good to see you, Morty. Like, <laughs> this drives him even more insane and angry. Um, and then I also saw a crash. Uh, mm-hmm. I had it out of the library for a little bit and finally got. I'd started it, but finally got around to finishing it last night. Um, I liked the stories as separate narratives. A lot of my difficulty with it was I wasn't sure how some of them connected. Some of the connections seemed like a bit of a stretch. Some of the emotional moments seemed overacted. Um, and my main issue with it was the takeaway was I wasn't sure what the where, where the story was going so to me it was more social commentary than it was a story um it felt like a lot of short films mm-hmm. stitched together yeah i can see that um sure. you know which i i think it was pretty good but i don't necessarily think it was like the best movie of the year good yeah um yeah 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 i can totally see that uh, for me, I said I watched the two Ant-Man movies, but I've already talked about those a little bit. Uh, I watched The Fugitive again. because I don't care. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's it's It still holds up, man. I still love that movie. It's so good. And it's it's just a great, it's a great thriller. Great. It's almost like, because it's an escape drama. It's a murder mystery. It's a it's a crime solving. It's a character drama. It's it's got so much wrapped up into a movie, and uh, yeah, definitely one of my all time favorites. And I watched Lucky Number Eleven, uh, which is which is a personal favorite of mine. Uh, it's it's very slick. Uh, it's very uh, it's very cheeky, and it's there's there's a lot of slick dialogue. Um, it's a lot of high elevated dialogue, interesting characters. Um, it starts out portrayed as one movie, and then the more you find out, it's like the the start of the movie is a it's basically a guy who seemingly gets mistaken identity and gets thrown into a whole world of chaos because they think he's somebody else, and and then the tables turn uh, towards the end of the movie, which makes for an interesting uh, interesting twist as it were but it's uh it's a fun movie and it's one that not a lot of people have seen um i can remember going to see in theaters with my buddy steve and him and i were the only ones in the theater (laughs) so it was like well him and i have seen it so uh but it's it's a fun movie all right you got anything else i do not all right uh so just an update i will be heading out of the country for a couple weeks uh we're gonna see about trying to do some podcasts uh, but I don't know what the fate of that's going to be. So uh, you may see us back at our normal slots next week and you may not for a couple of weeks. We'll see how it goes, but uh, uh, hopefully you'll stick with us and check out filmforfans.com. Our list of the best movies of 2022 is up there. So make sure you check that out and tell all your friends until next time. Enjoy the movies. Peace.